Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us as we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our fathers praised you, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? If I ask Natasha to read uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Tasha. So I'm going to invite Helen up to speak to us on these passages now, and I'll pray for her before she starts.
Father God, thank you for bringing Helen to us today and for her willingness to serve you. May your words not return to you empty, but accomplish the purposes for which you sent it. We pray that you would speak to all of us through Helen this morning. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, well, it wasn't you guys who invited me, it was Mackie, but, <laughs> but it's lovely to be, uh, to be back here today. Um, we're going to be um, moving about historically a little bit today, so I thought it might be helpful just to kind of put three markers down. Um, so as I, as I talk, you can kind of remember the three markers. So this marker represents the time of Moses. People have just come out of Egypt as slaves and brought to the, through the desert and brought to the Sinai where God's going to make a covenant with them. That's the time of Moses, okay. This is the time of Isaiah. In the meantime, the people have had the land and now lost the land, okay. Hopefully you know this because you've been reading through. And uh, Isaiah, at least the later parts, he's writing in a time of exile when they've been scattered. They've been taken by Babylon and, uh, and scattered. So that's Isaiah's time. And this is the time of Jesus. Roman occupation, as I'm sure you know. Um, so the Jews in Israel are living under, under oppression in that way. Okay, that's just kind of um, background or to help you tether yourself. So an end and a beginning. The end of Isaiah and the beginning of Mark. And if you've been following the, uh, I think it's called the Restore 23 plan that you're, that you're going through, um, then that's what I hope you will have read this week. And I wonder how you felt as you came to the end of Isaiah and moved into the gospel. And I wonder if you noticed, clearly Matt did, that Isaiah's ending isn't really an ending at all. It doesn't so much draw his book to a conclusion as finish it on a cliffhanger. I wonder if you noticed that those closing chapters of Isaiah are crackling with energy. And I wonder if you noticed that the opening chapters of Mark are crackling with that same energy. Because just as Isaiah doesn't really conclude his book, so Mark doesn't really begin his from scratch. Uh, I think it's a bit like a a one-man show in the theatre, if you've ever been to a one-man show. And the divine narrator comes back onto the stage after the interval and settles himself onto the same stool and begins with, as I was saying. And like any great piece of theatre or literature, this is rich in multiple overlapping stories and allusions. Here in the beginning of Mark, we have Exodus and Sinai. We have exile. We have reference to the great prophecies of the Old Testament, to the great historic moments in Israel's history, and to the great psalms of divine warfare. And I do hope you didn't skip over those verses in your enthusiasm to get on with the life and teaching of Jesus. But I'd like to invite us to linger there for a little while, and let's play where the energy crackles. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right, that's the title out of the way. Let's get on with the real... No, no. That's, that's not Mark clearing his throat before he starts. This is no throat clearing. It's more like the firing of a starting cannon. The opening drum roll. Listen up, he says. Here is good news. 
And just in case we miss it the first time, this opening sequence of Mark's gospel closes with the same word. Because the first words that Jesus speaks in Mark's gospel are about good news. Verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Oh, good news, that's nice, isn't it? It's like when the ice cream van comes or the postman rings the doorbell with a bunch of flowers for you. It's sweet. Let's move on. No, no, no. This word is weighty with mighty echoes and wondrous resonances. It's an Isaiah word. Good news. Gospel. In Greek, euangelion. And I heard that in the Russian. In Hebrew, to proclaim good news is basar. A couple of weeks ago, on your tour through Isaiah, you turned the page from chapter 39 to chapter 40. From all those words of woe and judgment, of looming threats, the menace of foreign armies, impending catastrophe and ruin, portents of the scattering of the people, and then you turned the page to read these words. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. Get you up to a high mountain, herald of good news to Zion. Lift up your voice with strength, herald of good news to Jerusalem. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. And turn the pages a little more and you'll read these words. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices together. They sing for joy in plain sight. They see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, rolled up his sleeves, that means, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And then in your reading this week, the beginning of Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Good news, gospel. This is not the jingle of an ice cream van. It's more like the report that the war in Ukraine has finished. Mark isn't clearing his throat. He's firing the starting cannon. Good news of comfort. Good news that sins are forgiven. Good news that rescue is coming. Good news of redemption. Good news of salvation. Good news. God is rolling up his sleeves. Good news. The Lord's favor is upon you. Good news. The Lord God is on his way. Here is your God. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark could not have begun his gospel in a more explosive way. But he's just getting in his stride. Listen on. As it says in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
Actually, Mark is quoting more than just Isaiah, and he's making reference to a great moment in Israel's history. In just these few short lines, he's pulling together lots of important moments in the story of the people of God. Right back in the days of Moses, when God did a mighty act of salvation for his people, he brought them out of bondage in Egypt and led them through the desert. And God said this to Moses, I am going to send a messenger or angel, same word, in front of you to guard you on your way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Remember that, says Mark. Remember that great act of salvation. God's doing it again. Good news indeed. Many years after Moses, but well before Mark's time, about here, the prophet Malachi picked up those same words and gave them a new twist. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before you, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now, it doesn't just refer to a past event when God led his people out of bondage, but now to a future promise when the Lord will suddenly appear to his people. And then Mark does quote Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And we're back in Isaiah 40, that moment when the page turns from doom to hope, from despair to promise. Let me read you the fuller section. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand the double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Mark is layering up the ideas here because the good news is too amazing to be contained in just one of them. Salvation out of bondage. Comfort of sins forgiven, a scattered people being brought back from exile, and superlatively, the coming of God himself. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. But Mark isn't done yet, and neither am I. Far from it. The opening of his book continues to crackle. Now a messenger appears in the form of John the Baptist. He preaches and he baptizes. And one man among many is baptized by John, a certain Jesus from Nazareth. But unlike all the rest of the crowds, at his baptism, something extraordinary happens. Listen. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The heavens were torn open. Where have we heard that before? Oh, Isaiah. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. That's quite a prayer. Just as good news is no jingle of an ice cream van, so this description of what happens at Jesus' baptism is not about the sun breaking through the clouds or a sudden downpour. This is about God tearing apart the veil between heaven and earth and stooping towards us. Listen to the broader context of Isaiah's prayer. 
Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. And Isaiah is back in one of his favorite themes. We've seen it already several times this morning, the exodus from Egypt. When God led his people out through the desert to Sinai, out of slavery, he brought them to the mountain, and there, while the people trembled, and the mountain itself shook, God came down. He came down, and he spoke. Oh, do it again! Praise Isaiah. Do it one more time. You've acted in the past, Lord. Why not now? The prophet knows his history. He knows of the mighty ways God has acted in the past. Do it again, Lord. He recalls the story of God's great intervention to bring his people out of a foreign land. Do it again, Lord. As he looks around at the devastation of the ruined city of Jerusalem, do it again, Lord. And as he weeps for the scattered people of God, do it again, Lord, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Isaiah never saw the people return from exile. In many ways, they never really did, not properly. A few came back in dribs and drabs, though most of them remained scattered throughout Mesopotamia. The returnees rebuilt Jerusalem, but it was always now a city under foreign occupation. And they rebuilt the temple, but it was a pathetic little thing that God never re-inhabited. And they got themselves a governor, but never had another king of their own. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, indeed. And the Babylonian occupation was followed by the Persian one. And then after the Persians came the Greeks, cruelly oppressing the people of God. And the Greeks were followed by the Romans. And as John baptized people in the desert, Jerusalem was still a city under foreign occupation. The temple was still a place that God had not re-inhabited. They were under the mighty thumb of Caesar and had no king of their own. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Oh, yes, Lord. If ever there was a people ripe for good news, it was this one. If ever there was a people that needed to hear of comfort given and sins forgiven, it was this people. If ever there was a people that needed to hear of rescue and redemption and salvation, it was this people. If ever there was a people that needed to hear of the Lord's favour, it was this people. If ever there was a people that needed to hear that the Lord was on his way, it was this people. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit coming down like a dove upon him. The veil between heaven and earth was split and God reached out of heaven to act as he had of old. But actually, it was, it was more than that. It was better than that. What might the people of Isaiah's day have hoped for if God had torn open the heavens and come down? A regathering of the scattered people, a rebuilding of the ruined temple, the appointing of a human king. But regathered people will fall out with each other. And a ruined temple will, con- oh, sorry, a rebuilt temple will continue to need 
daily sacrifices, and a human king will let them down and then die. What might the people of God, what might the people of John the Baptist's day have hoped for if God had torn open the heavens and come down? Driving out the Romans, chiefly. But in the absence of the Romans, the brokenness of their own condition would soon become evident, and a new oppressor would soon arise. And then they would once again long for good news, and once again would cry, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. But what God was preparing for them was better than what they would have asked for themselves. For truly, there was good news. No jingly song about ice cream, but thunderous good news. Good news of comfort for those who mourn. Good news that sins are forgiven. Good news that the rescue is coming. Good news of redemption. Good news of salvation. Good news that God is rolling up his sleeves. Good news. The Lord's favor is upon you. Good news. The Lord God has torn open the heavens and has come down. Here is your God. And so we hear Jesus say these words at the opening of his ministry. These spine-tingling words. The time is fulfilled. The hopes and fears of all of the years are met in this moment. Love came down at Christmas and at the baptism. God tore open the heavens and came down to stay. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, prayed Isaiah. And God did, in a way that was far better than Isaiah could have imagined. Because this time when God came down, he came to stay. And this time when God acted, it was decisive. And this time when God brought redemption and salvation, it was total and it was lasting. And we, beyond that chair, but here, we too need to know this good news. Because if ever there was a people ripe for good news, it is our world today. And if ever there was a people that needed to hear of comfort given and sins forgiven, it is our world today. And if ever there was a people that needed to hear of rescue or redemption and salvation, it is our world today. If ever there was a people that needed to hear of the Lord's favour, it is our world today. If ever there was a people that needed to hear that the Lord has torn open the heavens and come down, it is our world today. And so to us, as to Jesus' first hearers, the promise goes out. There is good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. There is good news. God has torn open the heavens and come down. And the challenge for us, as for them, is this. Repent and believe in the good news.